Good to see you guys this morning. Hey, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. John's gospel chapter 1, that'll be the core text for this morning. We'll, we'll jump over to Colossians for a couple of moments, but that's primarily where we're going to be, uh, specifically verses 1 through 18. So John's gospel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Um, look, uh, this morning's fun. It's cool to have everybody in here, kids, families together. Everybody's uh, worshiping together. I uh, did something fun. Our, our coffee team, who we deeply appreciate, uh, made hot chocolate as well this morning for the kids, or hot cocoa, right? Because uh, there are some people that don't like coffee, so everybody that's a child and Andrew Vestano get to have hot cocoa this morning, <laughs> all right? Uh, you loved that, didn't you? Uh, look, uh, it sounds weird to say Merry Christmas after Christmas, right? I played a little game this morning uh, as I walked through the commons and kind of talked to folks. Uh, and I said these two words, which we've all said a lot over the past few weeks, to a number of people. I said Merry Christmas to them. And they didn't look startled. They didn't look confused. But they didn't respond in kind. Nobody said Merry Christmas back. And it's not because you're a bunch of Grinches. It's because... In many ways, Christmas is over. That's what it feels like, right? Like my little one, my my Millie woke up today, and the first thing that she said to me was other than, where's my iPod, was, I wish it was still Christmas. Very first thing she said to me. Now, here's the thing. I think we're conditioned to feel that way. To feel that Christmas is over. Here's how I know why. Look, I'm one of those people that signs up for too many things, uh, not just in life and responsibility-wise, but I mean via email, okay? And so I got blasted with all these emails this morning, because today is what? The day after Christmas. Tons of sales. I got emails about all these sales, fire sales, get it now, Christmas is over, buy it from us now, please, we need good numbers for fourth quarter, right? And then there'll be stores today that are open with sales, that they promise are unlike any other. And then there will be a number of you who even today, even this afternoon, will take back this thing that was totally unwanted, in some ways hideous, but came with the most beautiful thing, this thing we call a receipt, right? And you get to take it back and you get to make it this gift that fits the new year, right? The world tells us that Christmas is over. Um, And look, there are these like... I want to know who these people are. I really, look, I try to do this thing where we be interactive together because we are worshiping together even in this moment. And I, want, I really want you to raise your hand in this moment. Who, like, wants to take down their decorations immediately? Christmas decorations. Look at this. Oh, gosh. All right. Everybody else is free to go. This sermon is for you guys. Um, <laughs> look, there are those people, and quite frankly, I'm married to one of them. And I can say that boldly because she's not sitting in here this morning. Um, <laughs> Look, who want to take it down? When, when Christmas is over, she wants to rip the decorations down, to take it all down and to pack it up. Now, look, I would quote the Apostle Paul here and say that while this is permissible, I don't think it's beneficial. And I mean that. Like, I, I mean it kind of seriously. I really do. And here's what, I'm, here's what I mean by it. This idea that we just are done, it's over, Christmas is gone, that doesn't really run synonymously and connect with our faith. I want to posit to you today, I want to encourage you today, and I will look at John's gospel and, and look at Colossians and offer an opportunity to see that the calendar may have flipped, 
But it's a new day. It's the 26th. It's not the 25th anymore. But we don't stop celebrating Christmas as of yesterday. This is John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. We need this entire context to understand it. Um, but we're really going to be focusing largely on the latter part, 14 through 18, but we need it all. So this is John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. So this is is the Apostle John's account of Christmas. And when you hear these words, they do sound incredibly biblical, but they don't really sound what I would call Christmassy. Like Luke 2 sounds Christmassy, right? This is is shepherds in a field. This is, quite honestly, quintessentially what we perceive to be and see as the manger scene. No room in the end, that kind of situation. But we're given a deep understanding of the reality of Christmas in verses 14 through 18, and that's where we'll spend the majority of our time today. This is how John offers it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so for John, this is the story of Christmas. He doesn't describe Mary and Joseph. There's no travel scene, right? We don't get that. We don't see them coming to Bethlehem. He doesn't describe that Luke 2 account of angels singing, a heavenly host singing, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, right? We don't see that. There's no mention of shepherds, a lack of room in the inn, or even a manger, none at all. What John gives us is this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But if you look Through verses 16 and 18, particularly today, we're going to see that there's more. The focus is less surrounding the circumstantial events of Christmas, but focused on this one thing. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in verses 14 through 18, we see that fleshed out and we get to see the depth, the gravity, what this means. 
what Christmas means that the Word became flesh. What are the implications of this birth? Uh, look at verse 16. This is John 1, 16, and we'll put it up on the screen. Uh, just that one solitary verse says this, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This is the implication of, this is the reality of, the Christmas that doesn't end. Grace upon grace. Not just grace, John describes it in such a way that this grace is never-ending. He does it in such a way that he emphatically uses grace twice with distinct purpose to help us see that this is continual, constant, never-ending grace. And it's that grace that comes at Christmas when Jesus becomes flesh and lives among us, beginning in that very moment, the very fullness of God, all of God rests in him. This is how Paul would describe that fullness. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And this, this passage really echoes a lot of what John's doing in his gospel in chapter 1. Paul writes in Colossians 1, and he says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So you can see that echo, that pull back to John 1, 3. All things were made through him and without him not anything, or uh, sorry, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So these things are tying together. And then he says this, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all, and then he uses this language very specifically, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All of that fullness, that fullness of God, is found in Jesus taking on flesh. In that birth moment, the fullness of God is not something that Jesus grows into. Do we understand that? That you and I will, will grow in stature character, and yet the fullness of God dwelt in flesh in Jesus. We need to understand that. It brings deep importance and meaning and beauty and understanding to the manger. The fullness was at the beginning. We need to see that. That's the implication of the beauty of the very birth of Jesus. And that doesn't end. That doesn't end. Also, look into verse 18, John 1, 18. We're going to see this. Not only is in Jesus the fullness of God, but also this. He's the revelation of God. The self-disclosure of God the Father. John 1, 18 says this. No one has ever seen God. And, and stop right here because you're going to see God repeated. You're going to see these things. When it says no one has ever seen God, John is clearly talking of the Father. Because then he uses this language 
with unity, but distinction. The only God who is at the Father's side, how is that possible? He's speaking of Jesus the Son. He has made him known. So no one has seen God, but the only God at God the Father's side, Jesus himself, has made him known. Paul would say it in this way. This is Colossians 1.15. We just read it together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. What do these things mean? And why does John write with such conviction and such power toward the fullness of God all of Jesus' life, all that he is, and bring it into this moment of birth. It's the life of Jesus, all that he is, everything that he is that reveals the meaning of, the power of, the birth of Jesus. It brings the depth, the beauty, the majesty, the glory to that birth so that we can see fullness from the very beginning. Christmas is beautiful like that. It's not just the start of something that will be. It's the culmination of the fullness of everything that is and yet has not been seen. But the image of the invisible God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We think about birth as just this moment. This moment of inception that is the catalyst for the beginning of all these Amazing things that will happen. And while this is true, we need to see the fullness of, the beauty of, all of gospel life wrapped up into this moment. I'm going to quote a, a theologian and a pastor, this gentleman named Derek and Tomby. And this is what he says. I think this is really, really powerful. He says, Christmas is no more identified with the birth of Christ than with his identity. So stop right here. What what he's driving toward, what he's pushing us toward to see and to grasp and to feel and to take hold of is that Christmas is not just we celebrate that moment that was the beginning of all the good stuff that was going to come. No, identity is wrapped up into this moment. And then he says, Christ's question to the apostles, who do you say I am, is foundational to the Christmas story. Foundational to the Christmas story. How can that be? How can something so deep into Jesus' life, so deep into his ministry, how can that be foundational for the Christmas story? Do you remember, do you remember when Jesus does this? He asks his disciples, who, who do you say I am? Do you remember this? This is in Mark chapter 8. This is, is specifically, this account is in Mark chapter 8. And it's really the center of Mark's gospel and, quite frankly, the epicenter of that whole gospel. Because right in the middle point, in the dividing point, we begin to see... And understand and have it revealed to us. And look, we're cheating in so many ways, right? Because we've seen the movie even before we read the book. Right? We know the story before we go to it. But yet in this moment, this incredible thing happens. Jesus is walking to Caesarea Philippi and he's with his disciples. And he asks them, he says, who do people say that I am? And then they respond and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. And some say you're Elijah, the prophet. And others say you are one of the prophets. 
And Jesus looks at them and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? In the text, we find in Mark 8 that Peter jumps up. In a gospel that really uses this word immediate and describes such immediacy, you can kind of really see in that moment that Peter just boldly shouts out, he can't keep it in him, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You are the God who saves Peter saw the life of Christ, and because he recognized who Jesus really is, in that moment, now Christmas takes on the deepest meaning. The story is not just about the middle. It reaches back to its beginning. It's the beginning. The way that we experience image of the invisible God made known to humanity. The beginning of us seeing the one who was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And that beginning revealed and appeared. And I love the word we sang this morning. The Word comes to the Virgin is what we sang, right? Do you see the duality there? That there, there's this Word of God that comes to Mary, from angels, and then the life. God himself, the word, comes to her. This moment of Christmas is something for us to behold. Not to just see as this one beginning, but instead to look at the whole life of Jesus and to see, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What it really means is the life of Jesus. When we look at the entirety of the life of Jesus, it causes us to behold and understand the power of Emmanuel. To understand the beauty of God with us. Here's the thing. Apart from the life of Christ and every scriptural revelation that we have in the canon... We can't celebrate and understand the miracle of Christmas. We need all of that to understand the power and the beauty and the majesty. But because, as believers, we have the opportunity to understand the implications, the present reality of the gospel, and it's this, that we were once dead in our trespasses and our sins. And yet in Jesus, we have been made alive. We now regard Christmas as not this moment that's a day that comes and then it goes. Instead, we regard it as the moment in which the invisible God becomes visible. He takes on flesh. God makes himself known to us. In all fullness, he reveals himself in Jesus Christ. So Christmas isn't just a moment anymore. It's not just the one moment we celebrate right now and then it's over and then we'll come back to it 365, right? It's not just done in that way. Instead, for the believer, for the Christian, we get to regard Christmas in this way. It's the moment by which all of life with God in Christ in the Spirit is possible. Should I celebrate that for one day? No. By no means. 
I should celebrate that with every breath. Every moment that I have. Um, look, I want to use this analogy because, indeed, Jesus' birthday. So, look, here's the thing. We celebrate birthdays. Who celebrates birthdays in here? I hope more people than want to rip down Christmas today, okay? I hope you celebrate birthdays. Birthdays are special days. One really interesting thing about birthdays is this. And I think this is, I really believe this is helpful. This is, the Lord has been helpful to me in understanding the beauty, the majesty, the incredible power of Christmas Day in this way. Um, we celebrate birthdays, and apart from my children, almost every person's birthday I celebrate, I wasn't there. Like, I wasn't there. Didn't see it happen. Didn't experience it. Didn't see this peaceful, serene, and calm birth that I know we all had, right? Again, my wife's not here. So, um, look, how can we celebrate somebody's birth if we weren't there? Because that's what a birthday is, right? We're celebrating their birth. Now, I understand that ultimately it's the anniversary of, it's a memorial remembrance of, that day. But how do you celebrate a birthday when you weren't there? Here's how. Because you celebrate the life of that person. You celebrate the life of that person in its entirety. And as a result, it draws you toward understanding the importance of the power of their birth. Because it changed everything. Because you got to experience life with them, joy with them. You got to commiserate with them and walk in places of sorrow, places of rejoicing, all of these things. You got to experience life from them. Why? Because of that day of birth. All of those incredible moments, all of those incredible things. find their inception, their beginning, their reality at birth. So for you and I, we ought to recognize the goodness, the beauty of, the power of, and I'll continue to say this, that just the miracle of Christmas every day. Not as one day. But every day, we should carry this with us. Here's the thing. Christmas isn't over. At least the celebration of it is not over. I would posit to you that it never ends for the believer. We are constantly drawn toward the beauty of the birth of Jesus. Always. It doesn't stop. Look, Today marks a shift for, for what you and I experienced over the past at least month. There are those of you who know how I feel about you now. Your decorations will come down, okay? And I've got to be honest, I feel deeply insecure right now, and I think I've lost some friends because the laughter was joyous earlier, and now it's, it's kind of faded. Um, but look, the, the decorations are going to come down. Staples. Outside your home, you're going to rip those things down. The lights are going to come down. There's not going to be gatherings and parties to go to that we all went to over the past couple of weeks. All that stuff is going to stop. It will. It has. 
those things, by in part, uh, or by and large, rather, are, are over. The calendar's flip, but the celebration of God coming to us and taking on flesh, the reality of the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form, the image of the invisible God, Jesus who has revealed God the Father to us in humanity, in human form. Celebrating that doesn't end. Celebrating that doesn't end. And so we celebrate Jesus' birth because of Jesus' life and all that he is. And it points to and it drives us to the place where we understand there is deep power in God with us. There is immeasurable glory. And for unto us a child is born, a son is given. In a moment, we're going to sing these words together. And I want to invite our, our team to come, Paxton, and, and you guys go ahead and come. We're going to sing these words together. I believe in life eternal. I believe the virgin birth. I believe in life eternal. And I think for many of us, that part's easy. And it's continual. And then there's this line, I believe in the virgin birth. And I think, unfortunately, and this is the pot calling the kettle black here, okay? I think, I think we're, we're more apt to do this seasonally. Like once a year seasonally. Like surrounding this last month and yesterday seasonally. But we ought to look to continually... The power of, the beauty of Jesus' birth. Look, when this line comes up, this is the hope that you wouldn't just sing this in like a cursory way and you would just kind of move through it because it's the next line. It's the next thing to sing. It's the next thing that's on the slide before us and we just kind of take it and say, all right, that's the one, I got to do it. But that you would reflect in your heart And that you would really honestly do this, that you would set your heart and mind to not stop celebrating the birth of Jesus now. But to do it continually, daily. That we would think on God coming to us. We would look at all of the implications of the Christian life, the present reality of the gospel, the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, the fact that we have communion with God by Christ in the Spirit, that that is reality because of the way God has ordered the beautiful picture of our redemption through the birth of Jesus. And before we sing, just, just to give a picture um, there's this little book I, I read, try to read most of every year. Uh, it's called On the Incarnation. Um, I read it at Christmas time because it, it, in great detail is Athanasius. This is written around 319. It's written a long time ago. Um, but this quote continually draws me back um, to help us understand the meaning of Christmas and that the implication of Christmas is this, that it doesn't end. It is without end. This is what he writes. He says, the Savior 
has not worn a body as a consequence of nature. It didn't just happen naturally, he says. But that being by nature bodiless, in the beginning the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God, and existing as the Word, then look at this, by the love for humankind and goodness of His own Father, He appeared to us in a human body for our salvation. That truth of what Christmas is, that does not end. We celebrate that forevermore. Um, Look, we sang earlier, then came the morning that sealed the promise. That very body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me, right? We sang that boldly. Here's what I would say. In view of Christmas, then came the morning that pointed to the promise that was going to be sealed. That infant body began to breathe. That's Christmas. And what we find in the manger is not the roaring lion. And that silence and that darkness, true light comes. And we see that which is much more we characterize as a lamb rather than a lion, right? And yet still, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And that flesh around God points to that Mark 8 place where people see this is the Messiah and it points to the cross and an empty tomb that infant body declares the grave has no claim on us so let's not stop celebrating that today let's pray together Heavenly Father draw us into the reality remind us once again afresh anew this morning even while we were sinners your son Jesus Christ died for us and it happens father because he came to us humanity becoming the curse for us so that we might have life with you so this morning we will truly together Father I can think of no better way Lord to to end the year and one of our final times gathering in this calendar year to declare together to confess our faith together Father, we believe in you, in Jesus Christ, your Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Father, we confess this morning that that as believers, we we trust in, we believe in the virgin birth. And Father, as we look at the life of Christ in all its fullness, now we can look back and 